In our last episode, we playtested Questlandia's new kingdom and character creation. We built the Kingdom of Not, a place where memory can't be trusted. A place troubled by the appearance of a mysterious beast, a harbinger of doom, in housecat form. We met Bartholomew, a down-on-their-luck city planner determined to follow the cat to the unmapped regions of our city, and Curtis, once an arbiter of justice, cast out from the courthouse when he tried in vain to prove a disturbing prophecy. We've got an anxious city planner now skulking through alleyways, a judge tormented by apocalyptic visions, and a cat who transcends the laws of space-time. We'll play out two scenes to see how it all comes together, and then we'll talk about what's working and what's cannot. <laughs> Let's get to it. So... Bartholomew, you're going to be entangled with the Locust Trouble. Mm -hmm. The Locust Trouble, in this case, is the Beast from Beyond. Beast from the End. The Beast from the End. <laughs> the cat who emerged from the Void, who is currently being held somewhere in our sort of justice court. How do you want to be entangled? So I think that Bartholomew's plan was to try to use my, you know, cred as a city planner to try to get access to the cat. I didn't want to say that I wanted access to the cat, but like, I know where people are temporarily held while awaiting their justice mm -hmm. sentencing. So my plan was to, you know, sweet talk some of the people that I knew so I could get access to these like, you know, inner holding cells. Um... But somehow, all of those people are dead. Like when you, when you arrive, you find no resistance at all. Let's say, yeah, <laughs> they're dead. And they're lying there. Maybe you're the first to discover them even? Yeah. Cool. What about people in other holding cells? They're also dead. Everybody's dead. Everybody in the Tangle right now is dead. I don't know about the beast from the end yet. So when the scene opens, we see Bartholomew walking through the hallways filled with bodies. Uh, what's Bartholomew's expression? It's a mix. I, you know, I don't think there's any happiness at having succeeded yeah. In this task. It's like, a not this like this moment. Not like this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that their face is a mix of shock and horror and a lot of shock. The type of shock that would lead a person to step over bodies to still continue on their task to go and find the cat. Yeah. So I think Bartholomew is just stepping over bodies, kind of like pushing, you know, like, like their body is heavy and pushing through the air as if they're swimming. Like when, when you're in a dream and you're trying mm -hmm. to run, but your legs are moving, like your legs are leaden. And they're, yeah, they're just pushing through. Do you have any questions from me about this scene? I'm wondering where the cat 
is kept? Like, I'm curious if, you know, how, how much the cat is under lock and key. I'm, I'm going to say that it's in the equivalent of the sort of isolation chamber that would be maybe used as a punishment or for extreme doesn't play well with others cases of people held here. Um, and in the cat's case, uh, it seemed to be able to squeeze its way through the bars of normal holding cells. <laughs> so this just happens to be the place that has, you know, a solid door. Mm-hmm. So that's where the cat has ended up. Um, and I think probably that's obvious to Bartholomew, maybe just from just the sensation of walking past these holding cells, the occupants are dead, and you come to the holding cell that looks different. It's a solid door. You can't see what's inside. Ooh. You don't hear anything. Yeah. I I put my hand out. Like, I don't know what I think I'm going to do. I don't know if I think I'm going to just open the door. Obviously, I don't have a key, but I'm in shock. So, you know, my actions don't necessarily make sense right now. And I think that the door just opens. I'm into it. Yeah. And that... In the center, it's it's a pretty empty cell, and there's just the beast from the end is there in the middle, just staring up at me. Who's the first to speak? <laughs> Bartholomew says, eh. <laughs> <laughs> You know when you go to say something, but it doesn't quite come out, and... Um, I think the beast from the end seems to nod. Okay. So my goal is to map the cat around the city. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. So I feel like I kind of want to turn to the dice to see what. So I guess the first question is, should the cat be totally willing to acquiesce to your goal and lead you to a secret place in the city. I'm kind of okay either way. What, what would you like to see? Yeah. I think, I think, yeah. So I think that, let me know if this sounds like a, an okay way for it to be. But looking at the cat after it's nodded at you, after you've spoken, <laughs> sort of, um, you feel absorbed into its eyes. Mm-hmm. You get that feeling in a dream, the kind of dream, or when you're falling asleep, when suddenly you feel yourself falling and you jolt. Except this time when you jolt, you're in an entirely different place. It's a different part of the city. Should we use the symbol reader to try to get an idea of what this place is like? We could just go to an outer symbol. Yeah, let's do that. I like that. Cool. So go ahead and roll a couple times. All right. So I rolled and the first symbol is skull. So I'm going to follow down the skull path to heart. And the heart symbol is a, I read it as like a lock, like a lock that you'd put on something that you wanted to keep under lock and key. (laughs) Hmm. Do you have an idea for what that place is? It's hard. We already had a locked door. I know. Going from a locked place to a locked place. (laughs) 
No, I have an idea. Uh, let's say that you are transported to a place that's very dark. Mm. And is it daytime? It must be because in the distance and above eye level, you see some tiny barred windows above you oh. in a few different directions. So I'm like inside Through which somewhere. there's a bit of sunlight streaming. And that sunlight is leaving beams that are full of dust. And where it lands, you see bones. Oh. And you're not sure whether you're hearing sort of echoes or maybe it's rustling of some of the dark forms that are in this room that you can't tell how big it is. You just know it's it's a pretty wide expanse because it has these windows quite far from each other. With bones underfoot. Yeah. And like how many bones are we talking? Like am I on like a like a mountain of bones? Like when I step is it crunchy with bones or is it just like a little scattering of a bone or two? Skull you know, here. when you put it that way, I feel like, let's just go full mountain. <laughs> full mountain of bones. Yeah. You know, it's not something you want to do too too readily, but in this case, there were bones underfoot. Yeah. And, not all, and, and it's not all crunchy, because a lot of them are wearing clothes still. Oh. Can they be full boned, though? Like, not, you know, not... Not fleshy bones, just bone. Yeah, that's just, bones? that's just fine. Okay. But they're clothed bones. Yeah. Do the clothes seem like, are they, is it a familiar type of dress? I think as your eyes adjust, it is a kind of dress you've only seen in picture books of the past. Very outdated. Okay. Well, I feel like, oh, do I see the cat? Is the cat around as your eyes are slowly adjusting um you make out the one spot that's remaining totally dark and gradually as you get more focus you realize that spot is the cat yeah i think probably it's little yellow beady eyes are visible first yeah flashing in the dark i should get into the habit of calling it the beast from the end and not the cat the beast from the end is licking its fluffy paws <laughs> So I feel like in this case, probably a pretty reasonable goal for the scene would be to extricate myself from this mountain of bones. Yeah, I think you suddenly realize that it's not as all it's measured up to be to find a new place. Yeah, you, uh... <laughs> yeah not super into this place. Um, okay, so I have a few options. Um, I'm gonna, okay, if I look up the wall, like, does it seem like I can grab onto something and climb up? Uh, like are we talking dexterity? Yes. Okay. Um, though you don't, those windows don't look like you could fit through them. Okay. Um, but perhaps the cat could. Uh, it seems possible for sure. Why not? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll for like trying to kind of scale this mountain of bones. And scramble up. You want to get up to the window. Yeah. 
I think that's reasonable. Like maybe if I can see out, I can get a sense of where I am at least. Okay. So to get some information on how to escape this room, you're going to try to climb. So that sounds to me like it's a hand. I think so. Yeah. Target. Yeah, because hand, you know, tends to be kind of the physical challenges, mm -hmm. physical and skill related. Works for me. All right. So we're going to roll to climb the skulls to get some information. The aim is to escape the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be using hand. So do you want to just go over the rules just pretty quickly? So the rule is we have these dice with all the symbols on them. You want to roll your dice and get a hand. And that means you succeed. Great. You get one die to start with. All right. I'm going to take that die. And because it is a hand challenge, the hand category has some extra questions for us to ask. One, do you have the right tools for the job? Does Bartholomew have any climbing tools? I mean, I am just a lowly city planner with a penchant for mountaineering on the weekend. <laughs> no, I don't think I do. Well, the penchant for mountaineering might help. The other question is, is this something that you've practiced? No, no. And I don't <laughs> think I actually have a penchant for mountaineering. <laughs> All right. So then you'll just be rolling the one die. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Go ahead and roll. See okay. if you can if you can ace this. Are there any other things? Could attempt. I could I could I put out the question of like, are there right tools for the job that you could imagine me having? Well if we want to stretch this a little bit. If you came equipped with your full gear, maybe knowing that you were on your way to try to discover new places, you might have a long stretch of measuring rope which is used to sort of plot out the size of different buildings. Oh. It's like marked with regular intervals. You might be able to use that rope to to help yourself climb up. All right, I like it. Can yeah. I take it? Of course you can take it. All right, it. I'm taking yeah, that I'm second die then. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to roll two dice then. Uh, one by default, the other because I have the right tools for the job. Um, I don't have a boost in this category, so I don't get additional special dice. I did get a hand. You got a hand. I got uh, two symbols came up. I got a hand as one and an hourglass as another, which means that this will be a success, but with a consequence. Right. So let's start with a success. Your goal is to escape the room. So why don't you describe what Bartholomew finds when they've climbed the wall? So I think that you know, I scale the wall, uh, not with much difficulty, actually. The climbing rope was very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, when I scale the wall, I can see that I'm actually just in some sort of basement underneath the tangle. Yeah. Like I'm under our city hall. Mm -hmm. I work here all the time. I didn't even know we had a basement. Well, I knew we had a basement, but not like a dungeon yeah. this is like a basement basement right this is a basement below the basement uh so this is shocking to me i think that the way that i get out you know how cats kind of when your cats cats like go all over your back and on your neck and stuff i think yeah. the cat pretty readily hops onto my shoulders mm -hmm. uh 
And when it does, touching the cat transports me somewhere new. That's great. I don't want to know where I am yet, but maybe... So maybe from the perspective of our of our audience, <laughs> we see you disappear and the rope just sort of falls and goes slack. Yeah, and falls down into the pile of bones. Yeah. And I don't know if this consequence will help to inform the next scene, but let's see what it is. So hourglass, things relating to time, obligation, foresight. All right. So an hourglass consequence, I have an idea for it. I would love to hear your idea. Um, When this cat is teleporting you, it's not just through space. Oh, wow. And the reason all this clothing seems so distantly out of date is not just that it's been here for a long time. It's that you're in a different time. How's that sound? I like it. Cool. And I feel good pausing, like, ending my scene there. Yeah, so maybe, you know, if we think about it cinematically, how this idea is imparted, it's like, you disappear, but the camera goes through the window. <laughs> and we see that the tangle uh, looks pristine. It looks much newer compared to the one we saw just a moment ago. And in the distance, we see people walking about with this old style of dress in this old city all around. Cool. I like it. All right. Bartholomew, lost to time. Yeah, good. But successfully escaped. Nice. Yeah, good. I'll take that win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, scene. Up next is Quincy. Right? Yeah. All right. So I need to figure out what's, what's going on with Quincy. Quincy, you want to remind of your goal. Quincy's goal is to follow the cat's thread back to the source. Why is it here? Mm. And that's related to a vision of the people of this society being led or forced into the void mm -hmm. by certain others in the society who have sort of who have turned traitor. At least that's the way he views it. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So, Quincy, what you going to do on your scene? I'm, I'm actually not clear on our rules whether the locust trouble is still supposed to be as urgent, escalating as in the first scene, or if yeah. that's just like a Kickstarter. I know. That's a great question. What do you, what feels good to you? Well, let me read you our other troubles. We also have uh, the mistrials. Mm -hmm. And a sort of losing our grasp on the a sense of justice and the growing expanse. Well, I guess what I would like when I think about Quincy's scene, I'm sort of coming up with ideas that I consider a little boring. But like the scenes that are coming up for me are like, I don't know, walking towards the expanse to see what's what. Yeah, I'm just well, I not guess sure. It's my so, responsibility to help you. It would be great to have you fling me into a dire situation. Sure. Can you tell me what trouble you would just like to be sort of engaging with in this scene? I mean, I know it's not original, but I, I don't want to deal with the beast from the end. Uh, that's fine. It's a pretty good trouble. Yeah. 
I'm going to start by asking you, are you in uh, present time? Yes. Do you imagine that the cat is also in present time? I could go either way. I don't mind the cat existing in multiple times at I once, you I know? Think, I'm, think, I'm into that. I think the beast from the end can, ex- can exist in multiple space-time continuums. Yeah. Simultaneously. It's like a regular cat in that way. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> all right. So everybody, everybody's been all bent out of shape about the appearance of the beast from the end. Yeah. Now you've been hearing talk that something terrible has happened in the Tangle. You work in the Tangle, but you've recently been cast out of the Tangle. Yeah. For speaking these sort of apocryphal. Is that the word? Mm-hmm. Apocryphal? Uh, I don't know, honestly. Right. Apophricating? Uh, that that I did been do. Apophricating right and left. People don't like it. Suspended with pay. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we're a just society. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, whereas you should be feeling led towards the tangle, you are feeling overwhelmingly led away from the tangle mm-hmm. towards the expanse. Cool. You start to walk. Your vision is a little, it's like kind of tunnel vision, you know, like the outside. It's kind of vignetted where the outside of your vision is black and you just kind of see the cat uh, urging you. So am I following it? Is the cat walking towards the expanse? The cat, I think the cat is walking towards the expanse, or at least it feels like the cat is walking towards the expanse. Mm -hmm. And it has a riddle for you. Score. (laughs) What's this riddle going to be? I don't know. Let's see what comes out. It says, what's done is done. The end is the beginning. Return from the void with something spinning. I like that. I like that rhyme at the end. That was really good. Thank you. Something spinning from the void. I just want to take it at face value. Yeah. You know? I think that's the power of riddles. Like, maybe this cat just wants me to go into the void and then poof. And then it pushes you into the void. (laughs) (laughs) You feel a soft cat's paw on your shoulder. And then... you just feel... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, Quincy goes spinning into the void. Mm-hmm. The spinning thing cannot be you, though you are spinning. It's not that literal. Heck. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you like to do? I want to try to get my bearings. I think I'm, I, I'm convinced by the cat's voice. What does the cat sound like, by the way? What's the voice like? It simultaneously sounds like meow and mm-hmm. also like what's done is done. Yeah. I have to drop a few. Like, it's like a low register. Yeah. It's like oh, very resonant. Well, do, well, say it again. 
what's done is done. And we can edit that in post. Oh, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just, let me do it one more time then. Okay. What's done is done. You want to do the whole riddle? I don't remember it. That's okay. <laughs> Say something spinning. Something spinning. Yeah, we'll give that an echo. Good. And <laughs> <laughs> just overlay a little. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. I want to get my bearings. I want to find out. Right? I want to be able to see it through the void. What's here? What what's around me? Yeah. And uh reasonable. You know, what's spinning? Yeah. Besides you, because you're you definitely think, spinning. So, <laughs> do you think, is that something I should roll for to be able to get my bearings and to distinguish what's what in the void? What feels satisfying to you? Because I'm also happy to narrate. I'm, I'm kind of into the idea of it being a difficult, uncertain struggle Yeah. to maintain a sense of self and distinction. And I like the idea the of whatever you see being surprising. I think that when I look around these strategies, here's here's what I'm going to to pitch. Uh, the way that I make sense of the swirling, chaotic abyss that is all about me is to remember my vision, the oh. vision of our people being led into this void. That's good. And to focus on it. And think of it again and again and again and say, this can't be how it ends for our people. This can't be how it ends. And try to use that as a stabilizing anchor of who I am, what I want, and where I am. Good, good way to use your boost. I mean, yeah, you see, yeah. I was angling you for always that. You're always min-maxing. I am. That I am. The hope is that min-maxing leads to good storytelling. That would right? be the hope. So what do you think? I, I accept it. Yeah, I think that's a great use for the boost. So your boost is an hourglass, uh, right. and it is a vision of the future. Right. All right. So I'll roll for it. Do you want to describe what happens when you are rolling in a category that you have a boost in? Well, the category is hourglass, and so we start the same way. Mm -hmm. I get one for free. Mm -hmm. Always be rolling one tie. Then the hourglass has certain questions. I'm going to ask you those questions. Hit me. Uh, are you fulfilling a promise or a vow? Yeah. This is my vow to yeah. prevent this vision from I, coming to pass. I think so. I'll accept it. Are you acting with great patience or care? Kinda. You're also spinning in a wild free fall. Yeah, but my, my strategy to recover from it <laughs> is a careful... Patient you're a, repetition you're a real dice <laughs> What do you think? Um, you don't have to accept it. Right? I well, okay. I'm going to accept it because it's going to lead <laughs> us to a situation where we're rolling a lot of dice uh -huh. and maybe have to make some on-the-fly decisions about the rules that feel the most satisfying in the game. So it's so not that I've convinced you. It's you that have you have not ulterior aims. Me. Yeah, I definitely have ulterior aims. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what it looks like I'll for you to I'll roll I'll take the dice wherever they come from. Dice. That's okay, fine. Okay, so that will give you three to start, and then... And then I have a boost in the hourglass category. Mm -hmm. That boost is called a vision of the future, which I consider relevant 
I say that's relevant. So then that adds three more dice. And I, my understanding is that it also puts the boost at risk. However, like I might lose this vision if this roll goes badly. Yeah. Okay. Ready for a roll? Do it. All right. So you want to describe what is out on the table? Okay. I've rolled six dice and two of them have come up hourglasses, which is what I was shooting for. Mm -hmm. And... Of the remaining four, there's a skull, a moon, and a couple diamonds. So, because I got two of my target, that's a critical success. Yeah. So I don't think there is a negative consequence. Yeah, so you will achieve your aims and something else cool will happen. And I don't think we know yet. Like, do we know, do you get another boost in that category? You get to write in a boost? I'm a little inclined to to say, in terms of, you know, mechanical impact, I think it's enough to make it narrative because there is a mechanical impact already happening here, which is we don't have to pay attention to these other dice on the table. Because? That would normally bring consequences. In this case, because we have two diamonds, it would actually mean a new trouble for the kingdom, I think, potentially. Mm-hmm. But the critical success means we can only, we're allowed to just focus on the good sides. So rolling and only getting one of a symbol, you have to deal with some other dice's consequences. Rolling right. and getting two, you do not. Right. All right. I I'm. I think that that's, I accept this system. For now. For now. Yeah. <laughs> so Quincy has succeeded in his role, has successfully calmed his mind regained his sense of self and the contents of the void come into view i think that not only does he regain a sense of place and i'm going to say this place looks something like something like an anthill or an ant colony if you imagine yourself as an ant within it, with mm -hmm. many tunnels branching out in different directions, mm -hmm. but that rather than being through dirt, it's as though through swirling dark storm clouds. Ooh. And within these clouds that make up the walls of these tunnels, there are recesses where the clouds are barely moving at all, and they're smaller. And within those recesses are objects, or people even. And though the clouds that make up the wall aren't moving very quick, the objects are moving. They are, in fact, spinning. <laughs> and the trouble of bringing back something that's spinning becomes apparent because it's all spinning. There are people, faces that are familiar and unfamiliar. And there are objects as large as buildings or as small as thimbles. And all of them are twisting and rotating and turning and caught in these little recesses in the clouded walls of the void. So it's like interstellar where you have to match your spin. <laughs> oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> to have it not spin. You got to spin too. You got to spin right with it. So maybe if Quincy spins in the right way, 
most things will appear to stop spinning because he'll have matched the spin with them, but something will still be spinning. And that's the way to find the spinning thing to oh, bring back. Oh, yeah. Okay. The thing that's still spinning after you've matched the spin. Yeah. Do you want to end there? Or do you want to see what it is? Let's see what it is. All right. I think that, you know, maybe the extra success of this role is having that that breakthrough. Yeah. How to distinguish between these spinning things, which one is the truly spinning one, and which one is just a result of my own spinning motion. So in this moment, I'm sort of inclined to roll for this. And roll to get like one of the outer symbols as an inspiration? I guess so. I want sort of, I feel like consulting the symbol reader. But I'm, I'm not sure. If totally it... on board. That's that's what I was leaning towards too. Cool. Do you think it makes the most sense to roll within hourglass? Like within the hourglass category? Because that is the symbol that you want on or does hourglass feel too limited and you want to open up access to the entire symbol reader i'd like to open it up to the whole reader because i think my instinct every kind of objects is is within this this space okay uh all right so do you want to roll twice then once for the first path (laughs) so the first roll was in fact (laughs) an hourglass good the second roll was another hourglass. Wow, dice are really loaded on hourglass. So the symbol that is hourglass, hourglass, looks something like a mountain. It seems like a kind of big thing to bring back. It to does. Just bring a mountain. So let me think for a moment, or if you have an idea of something that is maybe more grabbable. But if not, I have an idea that's growing too. All right, let me hear your idea. My idea is that it's a mountain. That was my idea too. <laughs> what a twist. That <laughs> it is in fact an enormous mountain. Yeah. And while everything has become still, the mountain is spinning. It's sort of twirling around. And... As enormous as it is, Quincy feels like he can also sort of see the entirety of it. And because he has no sort of sense of his own scale, can rest both hands on either side of the mountain. That was my idea, too. (laughs) The same wavelength. As soon as he does so, um, to him... It's as though all the clouds are swept away and he is at the foot of an enormous mountain and the mountain is dark and it is tall and it is completely replacing the void where the void once was. There is now this mountain. Oh, so like the expanse, the expanse has disappeared or become a mountain. mountain of colossal size. Oh, that's cool. Towering over the city. I like it. And that's where I'd like the scene to end, I think. Cool. Should we update our map, you think? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Seems yeah. Seems like a little definitely. change. Yeah, let's update our map. <laughs> okay, so would you like to... Let me give you our map. 
Oh, should we name this mountain? Yeah. It's not the expanse. Mount. Mount. Mount Tiny Big. We'll call it just the Dark Mountain. Is it dark also? Yeah, I'm imagining it, that it's a mountain that seems impossibly shadowed. The Dark Mountain. I like it. All right. Hannah's drawn it. Uh, extending right it. off of the map. Which <laughs> it I looks like. a little lumpy. Should I cross out the expanse? Like, uh, or leave it? Let's leave it for right. scholars that might be curious that in the future. That is true. Overlay our histories like transparencies. Yeah. So let's pause there. Take a moment to reflect on how those scenes felt sort of standing alone, but also compared to Questlandia 1 or the early editions of Q2. Yeah. All right, let's say things that worked for us. Um, the Having somebody else at the beginning of your scene take on the effort to throw you into an interesting situation was really helpful. I found at least it's just like it feels very natural to to be like, okay, that would be interesting, but I better start way back here before that happens, doing the first part of the plan. And it's nice to have somebody who can overrule that idea and say, nope, nope, let's skip to the best part. Yeah, I agree. I really like the challenge, but also kind of the comfort of this game potentially asking you, like, what do you want what do you want out of this scene? And then throwing you into that instead of making you get there initially. Like if what you want is to get past the guards and be in the inner chamber, you're now in the inner chamber. Yeah. And then we don't have to see you get past the guards and something is going to happen that's weird and interesting from there. Yeah. That felt kind of comforting. I was into it. Like I felt more okay not knowing because then I felt like everybody wouldn't know what was going to happen next, as opposed to like, oh, now I got to get past the guards. Right. <laughs> so I liked that. Anything else working for you? I really liked the, so this feels like kind of incidental, but like I really liked the expanse of being replaced by the mountain. Mm -hmm. It had, it opened up a really clear new plot point for me of like, the people uh, of not being able to explore beyond their world for the first time. Yeah. And that was really cool. And I'd want to make sure that like the game, but I feel like the game kind of did that accidentally. Mm -hmm. And so I'd want more of that. And I'd want to make sure that we had rules for more of that. Yeah. So that's something I'm going to be excited to talk about with you. Right. You kind of want the rules there to at least say, yeah, that's cool. You can do that. Yeah. Um, I thought rolling was pretty good, honestly. Yeah, that uh, felt I liked decent. rolling for matching. It felt pretty easy to understand. It's like I want an hourglass picture, and I got it. I got yeah. two of them, so that was great. That feels like a natural, understandable way to do it, but still, there's lots of room for, you know, some depth or dealing with consequences that are unique to the kind of challenge you're doing 
rolling more or fewer dice or, you know, whatever. Lots of ways to sort of tweak with it and play with it, but having a nice, understandable core of choose a target symbol, try to roll it. All right, so what about some things that feel like they're missing or, you know, we can make improvements on? The strong emphasis on dealing with plot, to me, does put itself a little bit at odds with more, like, character-focused moments. You know, having a chance to see Bartholomew uh, quietly mapping out the new space with great interest, right? Yeah. Rather than immediately just focusing on the conflict of it, I kind of want to get a sense of Bartholomew having a slow-paced conversation or Quincy, you know, having a long moment to, to, to be themselves, right? And that said, I don't think that that was necessarily a problem with these scenes, but it's something I'd want to make sure there's a room for. Yeah, I was having trouble articulating what it was. I felt like this felt much closer to the beginning of a Noirlandia game. Like we set it up with sort of this high stakes mystery. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, Questland is not supposed to necessarily be a mystery game. Yeah. And I, I'm still having trouble putting my finger on exactly what that was. Do you think it's more, do you think it was focusing things around a trouble that ended up making it really plot focused? I do think so in this case. Because, I mean, if we didn't, I mean, both of us had ideas for scenes. Yours involved traveling to the Tangle and speaking to the guards there, and mine involved taking a walk towards the Expanse and, like, that sort of slow approach. Both of those sound like scenes that would have more chance to learn about the characters rather than just the conflict of them. But... The locust trouble might be something you deal with in the first round of scenes, and then you move on to quieter scenes or a different kind of pace. Yeah. Uh, I mean, something that we've talked about in the past and that, like, Dan the Man does is it offers you a few different scene types. Mm-hmm. You can have a character and relationship focus scene. You can have a scene where you're trying to, like, frantically accomplish your goal you can have a scene where you're just dealing with the troubles of the moment. Maybe there's room for that in Questlandia. Yeah. You know, I'd like a scene where it's about, you know, like I'd like a scene where we just focus on the kind of dress that people in the past had in this society. And this scene maybe isn't even focused on one of the characters. Yeah. Which brings me to another thought I was having. Which is a few times during the game, uh, we spoke about characters. We, we spoke about like an audience. You know, like then the audience sees this. You know, sort of the camera shows this. It seems like in the finished game, that's a natural place to talk about the junk poets and oh, what they yeah, see. yeah, of course. Yeah. And so instead of the audience, I would say we as junk poets yeah. see this. And that could be a fun kind of scene to say we as junk poets are going to go on a sort of documentary tour of the harvesting of the analog of cotton and how it's woven and how these 
this style of old dress is made and how it gets distributed and who buys it and how it's mended. I like that a lot. I like that the junk poets give, uh, they like validate a place for like sidebars yeah as part of the game and is really cool and important parts of the game yeah because you know that all helps that is all in the service of world building so like the yeah the junk poets are the ones who remain in the dungeon after bartholomew is teleported away and see their rope tumble off of the window that's cool yeah, and it would have had a really different feeling if we had been narrating it as the junk poet seeing that. That's cool. Yeah. I felt like, you know, even though you were saying that it ended up being very, like, plot-focused instead of character-focused, I felt like something that I kind of missed that the original Questlandia did was I felt like these scenes were really kind of funneled down to us individually and I didn't feel like I had a sense of a lot of the motion going on in the rest of the world around us. Yeah. That said, we we had big consequences we for did. the world, and maybe so, even more so than so, normal. So I mean, it could have been that just like in the second scene that happened and by the third scene we were going to see how it impacted people uh, having this giant mountain where the expanse used to be. But again, I don't know if the game... I don't know if the game yet has a way to connect that new trouble or that like change on the map back to the society as a whole. I'm with you. I think it would be wonderful if there was a way to call for a scene saying, let's have a scene that's sort of looking through the city at the way people are reacting to the new mountain that's oh, towering yeah. over them. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and maybe a character is involved in this, but maybe not. Yeah. Maybe it's more I, yeah, of a junk poet's eye view of various, like, mini scenes. And we take turns going around and saying, like, you know, there's a banana vendor. And <laughs> looks up and slips on his banana peel as he's taken off guard. But <laughs> butterfly flaps his wings. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. Overall, I feel like that was a really good start. Yeah. Yeah, that felt really promising. It, it feels like refining a few of the ideas from this and maybe doing a few more like speedy play tests of it we'd be in a good place to get some some victims to oh, try it out yeah i think some people call those play testers right play testers <laughs> <laughs> all right you want to wrap there yeah cool thanks for playing thank you that was a delight. I'm curious about the Kingdom of Naught now. I know. Are What's we going to return to it? I guess. Who Quincy knows? Quincy brought the mountain. Who knows? Quincy <laughs> brought the mountain. <laughs> the Design Doc intro and outro theme is written by Pat King. The Design Doc podcast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. One Shot hosts other great shows like Campaign. Campaign is an actual play podcast exploring long-form role-playing. The current campaign, Skyjacks, takes place in an original setting inspired by the music of the Decembrists, folktales, and classic adventure fiction. Join Liz Anderson, John Patrick Cohen, Tyler Davis, Johnny O'Mara, and Game Master James Diamato as they tell a tale of daring sky pirates. 
Just search for Campaign or James D'Amato on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for joining us for a Questlandia playtest. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. See you soon, heroes.